here on site in Singapore in the beautiful surroundings of the Raffles Town Club. And with me today, we have Stuart Campbell, who is with the Rawupewu District Council from New Zealand. And Stuart earlier gave a presentation, a very interesting presentation on drone surveying from cemeteries to modern buildings. And it is my great privilege to have him join us today to talk about his presentation and share some insights. So thank you, Stuart, for joining us today. Thank you, Jane. It's a yeah. pleasure to be here. So, Stuart, you have been to Singapore before, you're saying. So, uh, and this, uh, this time you're here presenting as well as a holiday. And your presentation touches on using drones in surveying. And I think many of our audience here would agree with me that when it comes to drones and surveying, we would think of smart city planning, urban city, architecture and design, um, search and rescue missions, yep. but uh, cemetery is probably not something that uh, we would immediately think about. So your presentation is very interesting in that respect. So tell us about the case behind using drones for cemeteries. Yeah, okay. Well, um, when we first started using drones, um, one of the first things that we did was actually looked at the typical aerial survey that we did every six years or five years, which was at about 15,000 feet. So the resolution on the actual cemetery uh, on the ground uh, was, and the headstones and the plots and everything was, was very low in resolution. So it was very hard to actually tell, um, who, not so much who was buried where, but where those plots actually resided. Up until then also, because of that low resolution, uh, we just relied on paper maps and actually uh, just grids with rectangles in them representing the cemetery plots, which really didn't represent what was on the ground. So um, part of actually looking at our drone technology was how could we get better resolution by taking photo imagery at a lower level of, uh, of height and therefore get better resolution on the headstones and, and put those into our um, mapping system, which is called GIS. Right, so it's not just uh, what we imagine it to be, like flying CCTV to catch uh, illegal activities in cemeteries. It's actually mapping. Yes, that's correct. Yes. <laughs> right, so it's not catching grave robbers, that's what I'm trying to say. Oh, okay. no, we don't get too many of those in New Zealand. <laughs> right, okay. So for the benefits of our audience who did not have the chance to attend the pres your presentation earlier, can you tell us about some of the benefits and successes that you have seen? Yes, yes, so... Um, basically, from taking the 2D symmetry uh, imagery, uh, we had a, a criteria that someone had made a suggestion just out of the blue, which normally is the way innovation happens, and said, oh, I can actually uh, create a 3D model which would be fine enough to read a newspaper. And so the print of a newspaper. So from there, we said, well, could we do that for cemeteries? Obviously, you've got inscriptions on headstones, uh, and therefore, could you make a 3D model of a, of a cemetery headstone and be able to read it with that granularity? And so we embarked upon a, a mission or a journey to see if we could make that happen, um, developed a capture methodology of the way you, you go about capturing that imagery and then processing it into a 3D model. Mm, right, okay. So, you know, um, drones seems to be something that everyone is keen to adopt because it sounds fun, it's, you know, really fun to play with. And we heard in general, as well as I mentioned earlier, you know, in general, drones are adopted in a variety of cases from surveying to surveillance, search and rescue, etc. right? Mm -hmm. So, but how do we actually go about deciding that drones is the answer? Because if we take the example of food delivery in Singapore at least, five, six years ago, there was a lot of enthusiasm about 
you know, flying drones to deliver food to your doorstep. But fast forward five or six years later, what we see instead is, you know, motorists or cyclists delivering food to your doorstep. So um, that business case of using drone is fading fast, at least in Singapore anyways, yes. right? So for our audience who, who are keen to adopt drones, right, how do we go about deciding that drones is the answer to the problem? Well, it doesn't start with drones. It starts with having a problem and then finding a solution. I think one of the key things is to understand the regulatory uh, governance around drones and where you can and can't fly. That's mm-hmm. really important um, to understand what are your parameters and where you can uh, implement this technology uh, to solve a problem. So I think in our case, it was knowing uh, where you could not couldn't fly and what the regulations were. And then from there, you can start looking at, well, what can you do? I mean, for example, in New Zealand, uh, you we are still following quite draconian first dispatch of, of drone regulations, which are copied from Australia, which is where you can't fly a drone out of sight, for example. It has to be in line of sight. So That, that makes sense. Well, it does, and but it, it puts some uh, constraints on things like deliveries, for example. You know, you're delivering pizza, but you're not allowed to fly out of sight. So how does that work? Um, some of the regulations also around flying over people, uh, you, you have to have their permission. So if you're flying over a densely populated area and you have people outside, technically speaking, you have to have their permission to fly over them. That means actually going up to them and saying, am I okay to fly over you? How are you going to ask you know, a Ex- crowd of yes. 100 people at a concert, for example? E- exactly. And, and this is where you have the draconian um, measures in place. The other way is to mitigate those risks of that drone actually falling on those people and hurting them by adding in certain um, safety parameters, such as uh, maybe a parachute if, this, if the situation requires it where the systems fail, um, or things like that. And, and also property regulations too, where it's difficult to get permission always to fly over certain properties, and you might be just using that property to get to an area where you want to photograph. So you, you're sort of looking for an easement situation. So again, you have to have permission of the property owner in New Zealand. Um, I did have a quick look at the uh, regulations in Singapore, and it seems to be a little bit less deregulated, where you can you have to be licensed, but you can uh, fly a drone of up to seven kil- kilograms mm-hmm. uh, without having a permit. You still have to have permission from the people you're flying over. Um, but it's interesting in the advertising in, in Singapore, it actually shows uh, drones flying around the city, and this is what you can do with the drone, and this is the wonderful photography. So. Uh, that seems to be endorsed by the the government, but I'm not sure how that actually works in reality. Mm, Yes. Yeah, so talking about security and safety, right? Um, What is your experience so far in terms... When when we hear about, you know, hacking, drones hacking, and, you you know, um, that, as you mentioned earlier, that drones can potentially fall from the sky, and probably that's one of the reasons why government have the regulations around flying drones over crowds. Yes. So what's your experience so far? Uh, my experience, I've, I've never been hacked. <laughs> or, or rather, your drones have never been hacked. <laughs> my drones have never been hacked. I've, I've never been hacked. I'm an IT specialist as well. All right, okay, um, good. So I can, I can vouch for that. Um, but uh, and my experience is really around, um, you know, you do, like anything, you do get cas- catastrophic failures where drones will fall out of the sky, predominantly when you hit something. Again, flying out of line of sight. One of the biggest threats to actually flying drones are birds. Birds are inquisitive, they come around, um, sometimes they get too close to the drone or they attack the drone, and if they attack the drone, that could then cause the drone to fall out of the sky. Mm-hmm. So consequently, um, having someone actually keep an eye on what your flight operations are doing uh, while you're flying, you can't fly uh, first-person view, 
In other words, you can't put on a pair of uh, VR glasses and fly. Oh, right, or okay. Or you can't look at your screen without looking up to anything around you. Otherwise, you've got to have a spotter as well. So you've got to have someone telling you that there are obstacles around. Right, So again, okay. you know, um, but I would say, um, I mean, I've crashed a few drones. Oh, you have, okay. Yes, I, I have. I'm, you know, I'm not a real pilot unless I crash. I couldn't say that about airline pilots. That would be very worrying. Um, but yes, um, mainly just uh, one was through technological error, um, flying an aerial survey that had been pre-mapped, and uh, the sensor didn't pick up the trees as it was coming into one of its um, running uh, points, and it actually just hit the tree. But um, quite rare, and... In hindsight, as as always, hindsight's twenty twenty. Right. Um, I could have done it better, and I could have prevented that. But we live and learn. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, so talking about you know um, deploying drones and be aware of the safety and uh, security, and as well as the regulations. Um, what are the kind of sort of uh, considerations in terms of op operational aspects? Mm -hmm. So the time of day to fly, how yes. often to fly, what type of drones to fly. Yes. So what are the kind of things that people have to think well, about? Well, I think the first consideration is what is what are you trying to achieve? You know, are you just doing it for fun? Um, a lot of drones these days uh, have a lot of technology on them so that essentially they could fly themselves or if you take the hands off the controls, they just hover. They don't, you don't have to fly them, so to speak, mm -hmm. not like a remote-controlled helicopter or an um, aeroplane that's always going through the sky, uh, drones these days. So if you are... They, they really are, the, the modern-day drone, um, apart from the racing ones that you see, the little ones, um, are really designed as a photography platform for capturing imagery. That's their predominant um, purpose. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so if you want to capture photography, uh, I would suggest you know, in good photography, you would get a. They don't even have to be very large drones these days. It, again, it depends on the camera mm -hmm. that you have on the drone. Of course. Um, and uh, some of the good products up there, without putting too much of a plug in them, is, is mm -hmm. DJI do some very good products. Um, and their latest Mavic 2 actually has a really good camera and a, a good CMOS sensor on it. So if you want to capture those aerial sunsets, the other thing if you're into photography is that uh, you can f capture imagery in raw mode, which is normally the standard for people who then want to um, process their imagery to the best output. Mm -hmm. So it really depends on you know, what is your application. But it, it, as far as just flying them for fun, uh, without taking photo photography, you probably just want to look at something else, mm -hmm. like uh, something that you really have a challenge in controlling. So any advice for people who want to fly drones at night then? Well, in New Zealand, it's it's against regulations to fly drones at night. You, you're not allowed to. Oh, right, okay. Um, they, they also have um, aerial um, navigation lights on them anyway, but you, don't, you should never fly them at night. Um, you can. Uh, but of course, then you can't see all the obstacles as well. Right, of so, course, yeah. Yep. Um, a lot of the modern day drones now have obstacle avoidance. So mm -hmm. uh, if you get too close to something, it'll mm -hmm. just stop and it mm -hmm. won't allow you to do anything. So um, in New Zealand, you can't. So I don't know about Singapore. I haven't checked out that regulation. I, I don't know. Yeah. No. Right, okay. So what about climate restrictions or, or constraints? Um, so you mentioned earlier New Zealand yes. has. Yeah. Yes. So uh, you can get waterproof drones. And they will fly in the rain, mm -hmm. um, and they will fly depending on uh, the strength of the winds. Obviously, you need a bigger vehicle for uh, stronger winds. Mm -hmm. um, so again, if you're in, say, a civil defence emergency and you've got a, um, you get typhoons or something mm -hmm. over here, um, you really have to have something that's really strong and robust. And also um, consider things like flight times. So the bigger the battery, the more flight time. 
So average these ty- these days is about 22 minutes for a for a flight, and then probably a, a one and a half to two hour ch- recharge time. Right. So yeah, so that sort of thing as well. So um, again, it's it's what we would say in New Zealand horses for courses. You know, whatever right. you want the application to be. Okay. So um, yeah, really depends on on what you're going to do. So you mentioned earlier that New Zealand is one of the first countries in the world to um, deploy drones uh, for cemetery uh, surveying. So what advice would you give to you know, other countries to decide whether it's something that they, want, they, they should look into or um, consider? It depends, again, on the output. I mean, for us, we, we were the first country or the first, was the first person in the world to create a 4D cemetery, mm-hmm. 3D being the model the fourth dimension relating to time, if you want to get sort of metaphysical, and therefore we would um, add on to that particular model the opportunity to add supplementary information about the person, Mm -hmm. like their history, maybe their military history, um, their ancestry. We do that through a link, and we also put a nice photo of them up there that's, you know, the family can choose and things like that. But I think if you were embarking upon that, um, it would be depending on... What, again, what your output was going to be. You know, mm-hmm. if, if your output was going to be a model, for example, um, you'd really have to work at um, not only how you capture, but also looking at the processing application at the other end, what sort of um, input they would require. Mm-hmm. So say, for example, we talked about oblique angles, so on uh, angles of capture. Yep. So you're looking at things that say 45 degree angles. Um, the frequency of those captures, if you're doing something like that, so you want to capture at least every, no, no more than every metre. Mm-hmm. So you've got an overlap because in the overlap you get a bit of parallax, so you want to cut that out of each of the imageries. Um, good GPS location. Mm-hmm. The uh, DJIs are really good at that. They'll get up to 16 to 20 um, GPS satellites, which, right. of course, the more of those you have, the more accurate. Mm-hmm. And therefore, when you go to stitch it together and create the model out of it, if that's what your output is going to be, um, you'll get very good accuracy. Right. Yeah, so okay. there's, there's quite a bit on that side of it in regards mm-hmm. to that, and also um, consistency with your capture. So again, if you're, if you're, one of the things that we did for the, for the ground capture, because you walk along the ground, is we used the same camera, so we just turned the motors off on the drone and just walked along and let it click every metre as well. Right. And then okay. flew up to about a metre or so, went along again and then flew up again, and then went really high. So... Yeah, it's really figuring out that capture me- methodology. But if you're doing that, um, there are products out there that'll generate models mm-hmm. for you, mm-hmm. um, but they're probably, you get what you pay for. So, of course. So, if, for example, Drone Deploy mm-hmm. is one that we started off with, and it's a software as a service subscription. So, if you are paying more, you'll get quicker processing time, um, but you'll have to input a lot of imagery in there to get mm-hmm. a really good output from mm-hmm. it, which you could then export. As opposed to if you were really serious, um, you'd go and get something like 4D Mapper and actually, um, or Pix4D, and you would actually process all the imagery yourself. It's a lot of learning in that. It's a bit like Photoshop, you know, where right. you, you need to really understand how all the tools work and really right. drive it. Yeah, practice makes perfect, I guess. Yeah. Um, so how has the feedback been from, from the families when they see your... Oh, wonderful. Output? Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. It's, it, it isn't released for the public yet. Um, we were probably ahead of the technology capability. And, and one of the things that, um, which is a lesson for us and a lesson for anybody is that cemetery is very sensitive, obviously, for mm. loved ones, you know, and if they were going to visit it, um, the processing has to be just right. So one of the problems that we had was 
reflections of the headstones. They were uh, some of them were made of marble and things like that. So that reflection then caused holes in headstones and things that we then had to try and figure out how we could capture them better. And we're still working through that and looking at different camera technology. Um, so therefore, that delayed our release. Has still delayed our release because we need to make sure that each one of those images is perfect. Right. Because as it is, luck would have it that the person who gave us one of the imageries to put in there, one of the photos, actually uh, their relatives' headstones had a hole in it, and it's like, oh no. No, that's. So you've yeah. got to be no, yeah, so sensitive right. with that. Right. Yeah. Okay. So when is it uh, ready for release to the public? Um, as I said, I'm working side by side with uh, the people who process it as well, which is really important, so that they know exactly what angles to capture on and what's the best input for their their software platform. Um, so I don't like to give a time frame because right. uh, last time I did that, we're still waiting, <laughs> and that was two years ago. Right. Okay. Um, so yeah, it's Catherine Ball, um, who um, is highly respected in this in this area, mm. had said. Um, it's great to get a world first, um, and you can claim that, but actually to replicate that and to, and to scale it is, is really the challenge. Right. You know, you, you can do anything to get a world first, so right. I don't take too much kudos out of that. We wanted to replicate it. The other thing that's really um, pertinent there also is that they change all the time. You know, more people are, are interned in their cemeteries, so you've got to work out a way to be able to implant those new headstones and things into the, new, into the old model. So you've got to work out a, um, a capture methodology just for each time there's a new headstone added and be able to efficiently drop that into the model seamlessly. Oh. So there's all that because it may be things like the grass has changed because colour because it's a different season or um, someone hasn't mowed the, the grass around there or they have or, and you're so you, want, you don't want to have a patchwork of symmetry. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of thinking that goes right. into it. Yeah. So it's not about just about it's not just the uh, drones technology. There's a, also a lot of complexities around the software. Absolutely, as well. Absolutely, it, it's a combination of things, and it's an understanding of all of those different technologies, all put together through right. that number eight fence wire. Right. Okay. So we look forward to um, the public release uh, yes. in a couple of years, three years, four well, years. Maybe. Yeah. maybe. I'd, I'd like to think in the next six months, um, once we get the new camera um, pot up there. Right. So, yeah. Stuart for your time today. No it's problem. a very interesting topic. Yes. Yeah, thanks for sharing with us. Thank you. Alright, thank you very much.